Nobody believed that we had done something that enabled us to charge one-fifth the price point of Amazon, Google, and Microsoft. And what we said was, well, maybe we'll share something about that. And so we wrote this post called Petabytes on a Budget, and that had a million people read it. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. And with me today is Gleb Budman, co-founder and CEO of Backblaze, a cloud storage and data backup company. Gleb has guided the business from its inception in Palo Alto, in a Palo Alto apartment, to a company serving customers in more than 175 countries with over an exabyte of data under management. He has served as a member of the board of directors since 2009 and as a chairperson since January of 2021. Gleb, welcome to the show. I've been looking forward to this. Thanks, Carol. Good to be on with you. So, so tell me, like, in, in its simplest terms, what is the biggest problem you are solving for your clients? So the, the biggest problem is that everybody has data, mm-hmm. whether it's an individual with photos and music and movies, whether it's a corporation with all of their uh, IT information, or whether it's an application developer with uh, all the things that they need to store data for their application. Everybody has data. There's more and more of that data all the time. And what we do is make it really easy to store that data, protect that data, and use that data. And so we store that data and we store it for about one-fifth the price point of Ah. Amazon, Google, or Microsoft, and we make it dramatically easier to do that. So how can you do that? How can you do that? You know, are are you just sort of like the, that, you know, you're, you're doing, you're charging less and doing so much more volume to make up for the extra? Or have you figured out a way to be able to do it for less? Or are you just not as greedy? <laughs> There's probably, <laughs> some all of the above. <laughs> probably some of the Probably some of all of the above. But we really yeah. have built some really interesting technology uh, to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And when we started the company in 2007, mm-hmm. we originally planned on actually using Amazon's web services to store mm. the data for our computer backup service. And we realized we were going to lose money on every customer yeah. at the price points that they were charging. And so we started looking and saying a hard drive does not cost that much. No. But for some reason, the cloud storage from Amazon was very expensive. And so that set us down a path of actually designing and building our own cloud storage system. Uh, and so we wrote the whole cloud storage file system. We run our own operations and we've done that dramatically more efficiently. And uh, we pass that on to our customers in, in, uh, in cost savings, but also with just a focus on really making it easy and open for them to use their data. That's interesting. So when you founded the company, uh, you founded with four others uh, aside, uh, aside from yourself. Um, where did these people come from? How did, you, how did they come into your life? Where do you know each other from? Yeah, we, we've known each other for a really long time, actually. And you mentioned the Palo Alto apartment. One of them, that was his one-bedroom Palo Alto apartment that we started the company in. <laughs> so the, the, uh, we'd actually, at this point, we had worked together now uh, 
20 odd years. Mm -hmm. So in 1999, we did a startup together and that startup was traditional venture funded startup in the boom days of 99. It got acquired by Excite uh, at home. Mm -hmm. Uh, We met our other two co-founders at that company at Excite and Mm. we worked together at Excite. And then we did another company, another startup in email security space. And we did that for about four years. And then that company was acquired. And then we quit that company and started Backblaze together. Um, But we had at that point worked across two startups and two acquisitions. Um, So we we knew what roles each of us play. Mm, um, We knew how to work together. And that was really the kind of the core of it. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that 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 I think that's really common among founders is like who's going to do what job, right? And it certainly helps when you've worked together in the past and and have an idea. How did this idea for Backblaze come to you all? I'm like usually it's well we you know we realized this was a problem because <laughs> Yeah. It, so, it, you know, none of us actually came from a storage background. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I think maybe a little bit unusual in, in that respect. Right. But uh, my then co-founder CTO did IT for friends and family the way that many of us do, right? Just the yeah. help. I, my email's not working. You know, my printer is <laughs> broken, right? And one of his friends called up in a panic and said, help, Brian, like, you've got to help me. My computer died. I, like, I need you to help me get my stuff back. And, and he said, look, no problem. Uh, we'll, we'll get you a new laptop. We'll get you set up. Where is your backup? <laughs> Oh, I don't have one. <laughs> and she replies, look, what I don't need now is a lecture. What I need is for you to get me my stuff back. Yeah. And really he had always been just passionate about data backup personally, yeah. just for, for his own data. And he said, how can you not have a backup? Who doesn't mm-hmm. have a backup? Mm-hmm. And so he and I started talking about that. And we started talking to coworkers and friends and others and realizing most people did not have yeah. either any backup or at least not a good backup. And we said, everybody's getting laptops. Everything's going digital. Mm-hmm. No one's backing up their data. This is a problem and it's going to be a bigger and bigger problem. So we started with backup uh, as the original problem. Mm. And we were working down that path. We ended up going into the overall storage cloud space because that backup offering that we wanted to offer which was this unlimited fixed price, you know, at this point, seven bucks a month uh, offering for backing up your entire computer. We wanted to put that and run that on top of Amazon. And since we ended up building our whole own storage right. cloud, since they were too expensive, that brought us into the storage space, um, not just the backup space, because we had all these companies that came to us and said, hey, I use you at home for my personal backup of my laptop and desktop, but I trust you with my data. You're easy to use. You're really affordable. I have all these other storage Mm -hmm. needs as a company. Give me access to your platform. And so that's how we we opened that up. We called it B2 Cloud Storage. Mm -hmm. And B2 Cloud Storage really came from these IT people and application developers coming to us and saying, I use you for consumer backup, but I have all these other storage needs. Give me access to your platform. Got it. So how did you fund the company when you started out? So it's funny because the other two companies that we did before were both venture funded, 
Right. So we had raised venture money. We're, you know, we're here in Silicon Valley. So, so it's kind of the standard mental path as you go and you raise venture funding. When we started Backblaze, we said, should we do that again? And there are pros and cons of venture funding. Yes, there are. And we said, no, let's do this one differently. And so what we actually did was the five of us committed to each other for one year with no salary. We would put a little bit of money in and we would bootstrap the company for one year uh, to do that. And we said, we, we wanted to do that because we said, by doing that, we could just focus on customers. We could focus on product. We could focus on culture. We said no pitch decks, no pitching, no presentation, mm-hmm. no PowerPoints. That we're just going to focus on the uh, on the customers, the product, and the culture. And a year became a year and a half. We went with no salary, and then we ended up taking about a uh, minimum wage for about a year, and then we took two times minimum wage for about two years. Um, so it was a long slog where we did not pay ourselves uh, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but we basically almost entirely bootstrapped for 15 years. We did raise about two wow. and a half million into the company uh, five years in. But uh, up until we took the company public in uh, about two years ago, um, we'd raised less than three million into the company up until just before the IPO. Um, and then we took the company public on the NASDAQ in, right. uh, in 2021. How did you, this is always interesting when you're bootstrapping uh, versus taking venture capital is, you know, how did you manage the growth of your staff? (laughs) Very, very lean. Yeah. Right. So in a, in the venture funded companies that we did before we, you would immediately start by let's hire a bunch of people. So in the first company that we did, we, we raised money and we hired about 40 people in the span of nine months. Uh, in place, it was very much a process of first you generate the, the, the find the customers, then they pay you. Then when they, ha- you have enough customers paying you enough money that you can have enough cash flow, then you hire a person. And so that's, that's what we did in this case. We were, we, we staffed up very, very carefully. Um, uh, a lot of it also obviously was the original five founders plus two, what we call Demi founders who joined later and, and went without salary for a shorter period of time and put less money in, but some, uh, you know, by virtue of us all taking very deferred salaries for a long time that helped fund the company. Mm -hmm. But then there were a number of other things that we did just in terms of, um, spending very little and bringing cash in. So one of the things that we did to bring cash in was we we charged customers from day one. So a lot of times um, you might say, well, don't charge customers until some later portion. Mm-hmm. We said, look, we're going to provide customers a service. And one of the things we want to see is if customers are willing to pay for it. So we charged customers when we had a beta. We also sold monthly, annual, and two-year plans. And by getting some of the um, annual and two-year plans that brought cash in mm-hmm. earlier. So there was things that we did to bring in cash earlier, and there was a lot of things that we did to spend less. Mm-hmm. So, you know, two venture-backed companies and one bootstrap company, if you kind of look at that, and, and if you can do so in a um, non-attached way, <laughs> an unattached way, <laughs> or an unemotional way, what would you say the pros and cons were for both both the 
methods. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely pros and cons. And yeah. uh, so the pros on the on the side of venture funding were we had a bunch of cash up front that we could mm-hmm. spend on on things. We could take salaries. Yep. Um, we could uh, we we had more cash in the bank that provided a buffer in case of something didn't go right. Um, we could choose to invest in things. Um, uh, raising cash is something that is celebrated in in Silicon Valley. So you get kudos for that. You get press for that. You get um, credibility from raising cash. By the way, those parts of things I think are not necessarily uh, uh, correct, but uh, but that is what happens. So there, those are some of the pros that, right. from from the venture side. On the bootstrapping side, um, I think one of the big things that you get is you build a culture of people who care and treat dollars as their own, and that's really hard to do with when you venture from the get go. Because if if on day one the founding team is spending a lot of time focusing on investors and how to get money from investors. They're not spending as much time on how to get money from customers. And that then is what the other team members see, right? So in our case, we, we cared a lot about every customer paying us $5 Mm -hmm. and that mattered. And we, and we, and, and everyone that worked with us could see that we cared about those customers and solving their problems. And so it, it mm-hmm. created this culture where people really treated dollars like their own. And that's really hard to build in a, in a, a company where you, you venture funded from the beginning. Um, other things that are beneficial about the bootstrapping, um, you don't give away as much equity. That's right. So both for the founders and also for the employees, they get to keep more of the company. Yep. Yep. Um, there's also a uh, more time that you get to spend on the company, not on managing investors and outside people. Um, so that's another bootstrapping benefit. And the um, and the other is just kind of alignment, right? So um, uh, investors are somewhat aligned with the founders in that you're all trying to build this uh, company and asset. But in an especially in an early stage company, there's a lot of potential pivoting that's going on as you're trying right. to find the path. And mm-hmm. if you've sold investors on one vision and you're pivoting and trying to figure it out, it sometimes it's hard to get the, them aligned. And we had mm-hmm. this at a prior company where um, we had started as a consumer company, ended up finding that our, our the demand for the offering was much more in the enterprise, but we had we had brought on an investor who was only interested in consumer businesses. And so that created some tension and challenges in the right. past. So those are some of the pros and cons, I think, of, of bootstrapping versus uh, versus venture investment. And, and, and what you said is nothing that that I nothing that surprises me. But I think for you know, people listening to this, it's really important to hear this, right? I think actually just one one thing on that is that especially in Silicon Valley, and especially because there's the very common thing of you know every time someone gets venture funding, you get an article in TechCrunch about it, right? Um, it's it's people start to believe that it's the only path, right? right. They, before they even necessarily have an idea, they start thinking, how am I going to raise funding? Right. And, and really funding should be thought of as a means to an end. And some companies, you need the venture funding. It would be hard to build. Right. Um, you know, Uber would have probably been hard to build without venture funding, but there are lots and lots of companies that don't need venture funding to get started and can go pretty far without it. And there's a lot of benefits to doing that first. 
When you all started the company, did you see what you were selling as a need to have? You think, did you think people were going to feel like it was a need to have to your point about, um, you know, all these, all these people sitting in their houses who don't have a backup of any of their data, right? I, I would say it was almost more missionary in a way. Mm-hmm. We, we felt like this was going to be a huge problem, right? So in the, when we were starting with backup, we said, everyone's going to have laptops and desktops, uh, laptops, and everything's going to be on these little devices that people lose, that break, that are stolen. People, and everything's going digital. And, and if you don't back up your data, you're going to end up losing everything. Um, like all your tax documents, your kids fold over everything. I don't, I, I, yeah, the, the thought of that just horrifies and me. I, and I think we just, th- we saw that as, as a critical path, yeah. like, you know, data is so, it's, it's like, it's so everything now in our life, right? It's, it's the, you know, in this digital world that we live in, um, it, you know, people are generally, I think most people would be happier to, you know, give up their car or give up all their furniture, then give up everything that's on their laptop's hard drive. Right. So we just looked at it as it's, 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 it's so critical. Someone has to solve this problem. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, um, you earned both your bachelor's and your master's in mechanical engineering from Berkeley. You know, you're sort of a typical underachiever in that part of the world, right? Um, Tell me a little bit about after getting out of school. I mean, you talked a little bit about, you know, Kendara, which was acquired by Excited Home and, you know, your other startup. But tell me a little bit about that journey from, you know, getting out of school as a mechanical engineer into your first startup and then your second startup, kind of where the ideas came from um, and how you found your, how found your way through to where you are today. Yeah, and in my my master's actually I got in business. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, MBA. It, right, sorry about that. Um, yeah, the so the so I, I graduated with with a mechanical engineering degree, and I went to work at GE in their nuclear energy division. And and what I really liked about that was they had a program which was a technical leadership program. And what what was interesting to me about that was I I, I found robotics fascinating. And they had a division inside of there that allowed you to do robotics because it was uh, you couldn't always send people into a nuclear plant to do maintenance. And so they would send robots, and so they had a division. And this technical leadership program allowed you to rotate through different parts of the company, which really spoke to me because it allowed me to spend some time building robots, sometime sp- doing more project management, program management, sometime doing more analysis and analytics and kind of getting different experiences in, in a short period of time. And um, I'd always been fascinated by technology and I'd always been fascinated by business. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when I was, when I was a kid, I would, I was starting companies, um, that they were small, they were, you know, nothing, nothing massive, but, um, I started a company to make, um, uh, kind of special, specialized parts for, for bicycles, um, to make it, uh, to make it easier to ride them. I, I did, you know, kind of different things along the way. And when I was, when I went back to business school, I, I, I said, you know, I really want to start a company. It's, you know, I'm interested in technology. It's going to be a technology company of some kind, but I didn't know what it was going to be. And one of the things that I had realized at the time, along with some other people that I was working with was, um, and this was back in 98. So this was kind of early days of, of internet, but, uh, the internet had grown to a scale where 
going to Yahoo, you would often not find the answer you wanted. So you would do a search, you would go down the path a little bit, then you would come back to Yahoo and say, that wasn't quite what I was looking for. You try again, and you'd kind of bounce around going back and forth, trying to find what you were looking for. And it felt like if there was a way of having better search to, that would learn from what you were looking for and learn about you, it, it would be more personalized. It would understand, it would do a better job of giving you the answer. And at the same time, from a technology perspective, the browser for the first time had allowed you to um, install applications into the actual browser itself. And that was a new th- ability functionality at that point. And so I had this idea that if, if, if I could wedge a, a toolbar into the browser that would watch what you were doing, follow you along and build search into the toolbar, you wouldn't have to constantly bounce back and forth. It would learn about you and it would enable you to do better search. And then, um, and so I was kind of working down that path. And then I ended up meeting up with a couple of people who had a similar vision and we met up together and, and I joined them to, to work on this thing that became Kandara. Um, Kandara, uh, was acquired by Excite. We worked together at Excite for a while. And then a couple of the people from that company went off and started the next startup, which um, was pr- because the spam problem was becoming uh, a, an issue, <laughs> right? And there yeah. weren't and there weren't good filters and there weren't good solutions for it. And, and they they started thinking, you know what? Someone should fix this. And so they they <laughs> they they started trying to poke at how to fix it. Um, they they called me up. I joined up with them and. Um, together, we, we, along with others, worked on this anti-spam company that evolved into email security, where we were aiming to just protect your whole uh, email experience from spam, from viruses, from phishing. And we did that company for about four years until it was acquired um, by SonicWall. And um, and then we were at SonicWall for uh, a little while until, like I said, my, you know, my friend's uh, friend had a, had a computer crash. <laughs> That's so great. Um, if you look at your your history of three startups, startups Gleb, as a leader, what would you say are some of the mistakes you made and what you learned along the way to become a better leader? Uh, how many hundreds of hours do you have to talk yeah, about? Yeah, I know. I, that's the typical response. Pick a couple. <laughs> Pick a couple of good ones. <laughs> so I, I'll say... You know, one that sticks with me early on um, in Backblaze um, was really, really early on. We were, you know, we were all working really hard building this this uh, cloud storage company, and we launched an early version, and mm-hmm. it, it was, you know, it was a private beta launch, um, and it was going really well. As in, lots of people were signing up. But in some ways, it was going too well in that too many people were signing up and we and the servers were having trouble keeping up. And and one of my co-founders was working really hard to try and solve it. And at some point, um, it, he, he was one of my other co-founders said, ah, who cares? You know, it's just like whatever. Like, it doesn't really matter. like kind of thing. And, and I was like, no, it really matters. Like, we've got to focus. we got to do this. Like, it's, it's super important. And when I thought back on that, I, I realized that that was actually an error on my part. 
Um, not because it didn't matter. It really did. It mattered a lot. But because my co-founder who was working on it already knew that. He knew it mattered a lot. He cared a lot about getting it fixed. What he needed from me in that moment was not to reinforce for him how important it was, which he already felt. What he needed from me was just some amount of, it's okay, it's going to be okay, take a breath, and, and stuff. And so it was, it was a different way of showing up as a leader, um, a different kind of support um, that was necessary. And I think sometimes... Um, you know, sometimes we need to lead by pushing the team forward. Sometimes we need to le- lead the team by giving them space to breathe. Sometimes we need to, uh, lead the team by sh- f- having more of a, we're all in this together. Like there's different ways to show up. And that one was just this, this moment where it was a, a, a different way that I didn't, didn't quite feel like I captured correctly at the beginning. Mm. That's interesting. Um, you had an IPO uh, just about two years ago. What was the impetus about doing that when you did it? I mean, kind of still in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, it, I can't say that we we timed it to, to coincide or not coincide with the pandemic, as you can imagine. Yeah. yeah. The, you know, so I think one of the things is, uh, first of all, a lot of people say, why even take a company public? Being public sucks. And, and the thing is (laughs) what a lot of people told us uh, was why go public? I mean, you can just sell this company. You've sold two companies before, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody Mm -hmm. will buy it, maybe a private equity firm, maybe some, some strategic acquiry. Why don't you just sell it? And I think what a lot of people miss about that is that when you sell the company, the company vaporizes. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they put their you know, blood, sweat, tears, they really care about the company. That's the only way they got it to a place to be successful. And then sure, the the financial outcome for them is probably a good one if they sell the company, but then the company is gone. And um and we've yeah. seen that happen twice with both of our prior companies. In with yes. Kendara when Excited Home acquired it, not only did they acquire it so it was kind of gone because it was part of the Excited Home. Excited Home went mm-hmm. out of business. So they it was literally yes. gone. It vaporized. Um there's nothing of Kendara left. And with Mail Frontier when it was acquired, um the different People, first of all, they had us um, let go, you know, a chunk of the people, but then also the different people were put into the different divisions of the company. And so, yes, the product still exists. Yes, many of the people still work there, but it's not the same. It's not the same culture. And so, so part of the, taking it yeah. public was saying, we want this to be a long-term company that's here, you know, f- effectively forever. And that we're not, and so acquisition is not the goal. So that was the first part of it. Then the second part of it was we wanted to take it public for, uh, and not just keep it continuing to be a private company for a few different reasons. One was to give people the flexibility of liquidity. So people had been had stock in the company for a long time. We did have some investors by that point who had also been very supportive for a long time. We wanted them to be able to choose to get some liquidity in an acquisition everybody is, sells at the same price at the same moment. That's right. Which That's right. may or may not be the best uh, choice for them. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some people who are like, I believe in this company. I don't need the money. I want to stay in for, for forever. And we have others who say, I want to buy a bicycle or a car or a house. And, and I like, I need to look pretty now. I don't like, regardless of what it's going to be worth in the future. 
So we wanted to give that flexibility to people. Yeah. Um, and we're also looking and saying, okay, there's a hundred billion dollar opportunity to go after cloud storage. Yes, we have half a million paying customers. You know, yes, we've got exabytes of data, but the opportunity is so much bigger. Let's raise funding. Let's put some meat behind that. Um, and kind of the last reason was companies now rely on Backblaze as their fundamental mm. cloud storage for their companies. So. Yeah. We, we wanted them to know, like, we're here for the long term um, because they are relying mm-hmm. on us in the way that they're building. And so that's right. Being a public company helped helped establish a little bit more credibility on that front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really great. You know, I've got a former client who I did a lot of work with. They they sold their company to a Silicon Valley company for a, a great deal of money um, about six years after they founded it. And I was really surprised because I thought that they would IPO because they were the, they were the leader in the marketplace for what they did. And uh, I'll never forget asking the uh, the co-founder who came up with the product and CTO, um, "Would you do this again?" He says he says when I and he's still trying to figure out what his next startup is going to be. He goes, "This one we won't sell. I, w- I want to take a company public." a very different experience. I, and by the way, I will say it was also very fun. I mean, the, the actual yeah. experience of taking the company public, we got very lucky. Uh, COVID was, was waning at that moment. And we were able to bring about 70 of our employees um, to, to New, New York. York um, yeah. Know, fabulous. Sh- shove everybody into the NASDAQ, um, <laughs> get, get to do yeah, the bell right. ringing. It was, it was, it was a fun yeah. uh, experience. Yeah, it's gotta be funny. It's like, it's, it's like a day of party, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, you talked a little bit earlier on glove about the competition, the competitive nature of your business, you know, the big guys, Microsoft and, um, Google. And I think Amazon, it was, it, it, mm-hmm. Amazon was the other one. Yep. Um, you know, yes, you're selling something at a lower price, but you know, when you sort of look at the competitive landscape, where does Backblaze fit into that? And and it, it can't just be, well, we're selling things cheaper, so that's how we're differentiating ourselves. Yeah, exactly. It's not. It's certainly a material value proposition for customers, right? Especially in today's day and age, where com- companies are looking at how do we continue offering good service while while decreasing yeah. our costs. So there's there's certainly a lot of companies who are looking at just, hey, this is one fifth the price of what I'm paying for Amazon's web services or Azure Blob. Like that's a tremendous that, value. Yeah. Right? So there's certainly that yeah. piece of it. But the um, the other pieces are we're much easier to use. So we focus on the mid market. So Amazon, mm-hmm. Google, Microsoft are increasingly focused on the Fortune 500, largest companies, sure. federal government. The mammoth companies. And, yeah, and that right. makes it really complicated for smaller and mid-market companies to use their services. And so b- by focusing on storage, not on the 200 different things that they offer there, um, and by focusing on the mid-market type companies, we have built the product offering that makes it much easier to use. So one of the, one analysts had done a, a, a report and found that our customers save 92% of their time, not just their money, 92% of their time by using Backblaze. So that's, that's wow. simplicity is a really key thing. And then the other one is this open cloud concept. So for many, many years, uh, the cloud and AWS, Amazon's web services, were synonymous. People had them believe they were the same. Mm-hmm. Thing. Now, right. 
companies are starting to realize, well, there's Amazon and there's Google and there's Azure, but then there are also these specialized cloud. There's this, uh, there's Twilio for communications or Stripe for billing or Cloudflare and Fastly for networking. There are these specialized clouds who are aiming to be best of breed in a part mm-hmm. of the cloud. And Backblaze is doing that for storage. And in a world where you want to build on best of breed providers, you need your storage to be accessible, your data to be accessible. And so we free you from the lock-in that Amazon and Google and Microsoft want to do. They, they want to keep you and have you use only their services, make it very expensive and very hard to get your data out. We free you from that. We make it free literally to get your data out and we interconnect with all of these different um, providers. You know, there is nothing that pisses me off more than you switch providers and like, oh yeah, it's going to cost you $300 to get your data. I'm like, are you serious? Yeah, it's crazy. My data. It makes me crazy. Yeah. So how do you, tell me a little bit about, let's talk a little bit about marketing and, you know, are you doing inbound, outbound, a combination of both? Like how do your prospects find you? So we do something that's, um, so we, uh, we, a lot of people start uh, finding us because we have a very popular blog. Mm. Three million people a year r- read our blog, and it's not a Hollywood gossip blog, right? It's a blog that is <laughs> focused on data storage. How did you manage that? <laughs> so, wow, it was I would say it was partially strategic and partially uh, luck, and. And then, and then, um, and then Mm. leaning into that learning. So when we started the company, I started writing blog posts around data storage and backup and, and cloud storage and like a few people read, read those posts, you know, maybe my brother and, and my mom, if I was lucky, right. (laughs) The, uh, and then one of the things that we did was we wrote this post about our actual underlying storage infrastructure. And we did that because nobody believed that we had done something that enabled us to charge one-fifth the price point of Amazon, Google, right. Microsoft. It's like shocking. It was shocking. And yeah. people just had all yeah. these wild theories about what we were, how we were able to do that, which did not include actually designing better technology, right? And so <laughs> um, what we said was, well, maybe we'll share something about that. And so we wrote this post called Petabytes on a Budget. and. Um, and so we, we wrote this post and that one post had a million people read it. Wow. And it blew yeah. our minds, right? That we were like, how is it possible that there are a million people out there who are interested in reading about big storage servers? And it turned out there's quite a, quite a community of people who are interested in storage. And so then we said, well, the good news is there's a lot of people interested in it. The bad news is it took us like two years to build up this technology and now we published one blog post about it. So now two years from now, we can publish one more blog post, right? That wasn't going to work very well. So we started trying to learn and think about it. And one of the things that we realized was people had all these other questions. Oh, can you tell me more about this aspect of your storage? Can you tell me about how it behaves in, with in, under heat? Can you tell us how this and that? And so we found that the community was interested in learning more. And so one of the things that we started doing was we have lots of hard drives, hundreds of thousands of hard drives, right? And people want to know, how do, what do we know about them? So we started publishing a quarterly hard drive 
statistics report that you can go and you can look up um, and and it goes, you know, the press writes about it, it goes viral uh, and people talk about it because by make and model of all the hard drives, we publish this data. It's the only place on the internet that you can get this kind of information. Mm-hmm. And, right. um, and we've been doing that for years and we publish this kind of interesting content in and around storage. That brings awareness to Backblaze. Mm-hmm. And then we mm-hmm. supplement that with a direct outbound selling, with a channel program, um, with a developer evangelism mm-hmm. program. So we, we have kind of the full sales and marketing uh, built out go to market motion. But a lot of it started with that, uh, with that blog and that content in the community around it. That's awesome. Um, what would you say are the biggest challenges that you're facing both with, within Backblaze, but within your industry as a, as a whole? So I think, and, and are your competitors facing the same challenges? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because in some ways the challenges our competitors are facing are different probably. So I, it, one of the things that Amazon, Google, and Microsoft have been talking about it, over the last year plus is that they are struggling with uh, customers wanting to optimize. And optimize meaning their customers have realized that they are spending an inordinate amount of money with them. And they need to figure out ways to be more efficient. And they are going to them and saying, what can I do to be more efficient and spend less money? And, and so uh, that, that's been a lot of what the Amazon, Google, and Microsoft have been talking about in their earnings calls. And, um, you know, and so the answers for them are things like, well, we can, you know, we can help you figure out what data maybe you don't need as much as some of the other data that you have. And, you know, which, which child do you like less? you know, um, (laughs) right. right? And, and, you (laughs) know, and so in many ways, that's been actually somewhat of a benefit for us because the alternative Mm. of picking which child you like less is to move both children to back boys and have them both be happy for half the price. Yeah. Right. Um, so, um, so that's, so I think it's a little different. Um, I think one of the challenges that we face is that we're at the early stage of companies realizing that they have an alternative. Right. Amazon, Google, and Microsoft have been um, dominant big companies for so long that uh, there was a little bit of the no one got fired for buying IBM mentality. And yeah, right. at some point <laughs> that that switched. Right. But it, it, it yeah. and when it switched, it kind of became a pretty, uh, you know, pretty rapid switch. But it, it took a while for that groundswell to happen. And so there is still some amount of building awareness of Backblaze um, as a as as an alternative that you have to being locked into the um, traditional clouds. Yeah, interesting. Do you have an ideal client? Sh- sure. I mean, uh, ideal clients for us are ones that have a lot of data, um, and for whom and for whom that data matters, and for for whom the, that data is, is a significant part of of their business. So um, we we help people in the media space a lot, people that deal with media, people that are not necessarily like Hollywood studios. We find that lots of um, corporations and schools and you know everybody is a media producer now, right? Whether you're creating um, commercials, whether you're creating um, training content, whether you're creating support content. Um, so a lot of companies that deal in media uh, are great. Um, 
anybody that's uh, dealing with backups and archives. Um, we also help application developers who have uh, who, who deal with media a lot. So um, lots of com- application developers that are storing photos, storing videos on behalf of their customers. Um, e-commerce mm-hmm. companies that have lots of photos of products that they have. Um, you know, we help the companies now uh, increasingly also with various AI um, use cases where they we don't do the AI, we don't do the GPU side of it, but they have these training data sets um, and the data needs to live somewhere. And they want that data to live somewhere where it is accessible to the places that they want to run their models on and and not mm-hmm. locked into uh, a traditional cloud provider where they can't get their data out. Interesting. So you are, uh, Backblaze is closing in on about 400 employees now. Um, tell me a little bit about your talent strategy and where you've seen challenges in that. Yeah, it, so one of the things that, I think from a talent strategy is just building a culture, right? And, and, um, I think I, you know, it was, <laughs> it was long and it was hard, but it was important and it was valuable mm-hmm. that, that we bootstrapped the company for so many years because it really right. set us down a path of having a culture of people who care. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that you'll still get from, uh, you know, the, the culture from the people inside is, um, People really care. It's it's not a um, well. I show up and I you know clock in and I clock out and I do this thing. It's a people feel passionate about backwards. They feel passionate about their colleagues and yeah. the work that they yeah. do. Yeah. Um, and so that is been really important. And now that we are not a bootstrap company, um, we'll continue to make sure that that culture, that feel of we're in this together and aiming to be um, build a great thing together is is a very key part of the talent strategy. So how have you done that? I mean, because, you know, that, that's the big, that is the biggest problem, Glove, as companies get larger. Forget about public or private, right? But as they get larger, it's really hard to keep that culture that you built when you, you know, when you all were, you know, had your sleeves all rolled up and we're working 100 hours a week. It's definitely, I, I, I don't claim that it's easy. Um, right. No, well, it's not, of course not. Um, so I think one of the things that we have as a, 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 that we're lucky on is that, you know, because we had so many years of that culture getting deeply ingrained and established, we have a lot of people in a core um, that, that kind of are, that, that have that culture and we're able to kind of um, continue that culture in the people that they hired and the people they manage and et cetera. So I think a lot of it, you know, we started with the right thing, right? Um, and then, you know, we continue to aim to, to do that through various things. Um, you know, partially it's, it's storytelling, right? It's sharing the things that mattered, the things that still matter and giving the examples. And we do a, um, when we bring on new employees, we do a, um, an overview, which includes sharing some of those early stories and, and how we mm-hmm, mm-hmm. made it work. Um, I'll share one, one really quick one for, for you, which I think is, you know, uh, one that we share there, which is in 2011, I mean, this was, you know, over a decade ago at this point, um, we had something that came the closest to putting the company out of business. And it was a flood in Thailand. And, you know, it, it 
that was never on the risk perspective, right? We, we, no one would have said, oh, well, a flood in Taiwan, we don't have any customers there. We don't have any partners there. Like, mm-hmm. why would that be a risk? Well, the reason it was a risk was yeah. because most of the world's hard drives um, uh, were built there. Or made there, and yeah. And so all of a sudden, hard drives became hard to reach and became unavailable. And so we had different choices. We said, do we raise a bunch of funding? Do we raise prices? Do we stop accepting customers? What do we do? And we ended up coming up with this idea of shucking hard drives like an oyster. Um, and, uh, and so we found that uh, consumer hard drives were available still for not that much more, but, but a, a quote, quote unquote enterprise drives, which were the same hard drives, but not inside of an enclosure, were not. And we basically looked around, drew on the whiteboard um, where everybody lived and where the different stores were that sold those and said, congratulations, as part of your job, you get here, to go, shop. go stop by the <laughs> store every morning, buy all the hard drives you can buy and bring them to the store. And yeah. that kind I of, love it. we're all in this together. We're going to figure it out. Mm. We're going to be creative and we're going to make it work. And so continuing to share those stories and those experiences um, uh, helps continue that culture. Um, being accessible, yeah. I think, you know, a, as a management team um, is mm-hmm. part of that, Sh- living it ourselves. Um, so, you know, there are lots of kind of planting of the seeds uh, of, of doing that. And, and then it's just trying to hire people who are the kind of people that would care, trying to reward people that do care, showing that those are the things that are rewarded here. Um, so it, it's that it's, it's all the process around it. Mm-hmm. What's your day-to-day look like as a leader? You know, what I'd love to say is that I sit and strategize all day long and, you know, and everything. But, you know, the reality of it is my day probably looks like a lot of other people's, which is, you know, there's lots of Zoom meetings back to back to back. Um, what, what I will say is that um, it has shifted at some point over the years in part because um, now I have an executive team that uh, is is strong and owns their functions. And as a mm. founder transitioning from more founder to more, more CEO, um, that was an interesting um, open, uh, kind of opening that I, that I um, had to kind of transition through, right? Which is, as a founder, you feel like you have to do everything, right? Um, and you have to have your fingers in everything. And what I what I'm loving is that you know you 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 asked about talent strategy. We hired a fabulous CHRO um, who came in and has been doing just a great job on all of the talent area functions. And so while I deeply care about our talent uh, uh, approach mm-hmm. and how we manage that. Um, I heavily lean on him um, yeah. for that. And the same thing in other functions uh, throughout the throughout the executive team. Yeah, I love that. Uh, how do you spend your time when you're not working? Uh, I, spend a, I spend a lot of it with my kids. Um, I've, got, I've got two little kids that are, uh, are a blast. Um, and I, I enjoy uh, kite surfing. Um, I don't get to do it quite as frequently as I would like, mm-hmm. but I, uh, but it, it is a, uh, I used to hang glide, um, for 20 years. And then, um, through a combination of it's hang gliding is, let's say not very safe. Um, and logistically complicated, I decided to switch from hang gliding to kite surfing. And, and that has been, uh, <laughs> that, that has made it more, more feasible to do more, more frequently. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's awesome. So if somebody, uh, when this is going live, somebody listening to this is thinking, God, I love this story. I love what this company's doing. It sounds like a great kind of culture I'd like to work for. What should they do? If they'd like to work with us? Like they want to come to work yeah, for you. I mean, yeah. um, so we we have roles. Uh, Where they won't get lost in a black hole. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, you know, certainly they should they should definitely apply through our online portal because that uh, that does get looked at it and it is um, it, and it is it, it is a key way of making sure that they don't get lost. So you know, going to backblaze.com and going to our jobs page is is absolutely key. Um, they can certainly try to, you know, adding me on LinkedIn and sending me a, a note to that and saying, you know, I heard this, this podcast, and I'm interested in this role. And here's why. Um, and, you know, I'll forward that to our internal recruiters and, right. um, and, and send them, you know, at least that, that gives them a little bit of uh, awareness of why, why they're interested. Mm-hmm. That's great. And finally, is there anything that uh, I haven't covered that we haven't covered that you want to uh, talk about before we close out? I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, in, you know, you talk about, about talent and I think in many ways it's, I remember a long time ago, I, I, I was just taking a course on culture and they were talking about how culture is a business process and you can very much guide the direction of that company, of the culture of the company. And part, one of the examples that they talked about also was, um, was Southwest and how the, the founder of Southwest talked about, told the, the street that um, his order of priorities was, was employees, then customers, then shareholders. Yep. And that the That's street right. was not happy about that initially. But the explanation was, we're a service business. If we take care of our employees, the employees take care of the customers and the customers will take care of the street. And I yeah. think that there's a lot to that, which is at the end of the day, we're a technology company, but it's not technology for technology's sake. We build great cloud storage to solve customers' problems. Um, and if we have employees who are great and excited and work well together, they will build things that solve customers' problems and those will solve the street and anybody else's problems. Amen. Well, Glove Budman, CEO, co-founder and CEO of Backblaze, thanks so much for being with me. This was a really great conversation. I appreciate it. Thanks, Carol. Great talking to you. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, Tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.